Cotton Bowl this weekend, the Red River Rivalry. I get the sense that there's just not as much enthusiasm around this game as there has been in years past, but that doesn't mean we're not going to spend a bang little time talking about it anyway. What's up, everybody? It's Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray, and we're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. So let's start with some news that began to break this last weekend as Oklahoma prepared for Iowa State. Suddenly, Ronnie Perkins, number seven, shows up at practice, begins to participate, shows up in Ames wearing a game jersey. Lincoln Riley says this week that nothing has changed as as far as the status of Ronnie Perkins, if you are on Twitter, if you have connections, if you know people, I know people who say they're sticking to their guns. They're saying he will play. I default to you, Rich. Will he or won't we? Will we see number <laughs> seven on the field at the Cotton Bowl taking down Texas Longhorns left and right? Matt, you know from from previous conversations that I was probably the most excited person on the face of planet Earth at the potential for Ronnie Perkins to play. And that was evidenced by him showing up, as you had mentioned, on the sideline in Ames, Iowa, with a jersey on. Now, granted, he had no helmet, he had no pads, and we got the explanation that he was brought along for moral support. However, I'm also looking at what Lincoln Riley had said earlier in that only essential personnel would travel. We still have to take into consideration the health concerns All of a sudden, as we've mentioned, Ronnie Perkins shows up and it it breathed life into this idea that he was going to play or that he would have an impact, maybe not in Ames, but in this Red River rivalry. As we know, the defensive line showed up last season and the team as a whole collected nine sacks. Here's why I was so excited about Ronnie Perkins' potential return is that I felt as though while I'm I'm not subscribing to the idea that one player can be the savior of this defense, I am subscribed to the idea that Ronnie Perkins helps out the secondary the most of any player along that defensive line because of what he brings in the pass rush. Oklahoma has not been extremely successful. They haven't hit the same numbers that we expected them to from last year heading into this season in terms of that pass rush, knowing just at least what we thought were going to be was going to be a good quarterback league. Ronnie Perkins, as I had mentioned, I did think was the answer for the secondary and limiting time that that quarterbacks would spend in the backfield in the pocket surveying. So in my roundabout way of answering your question is this. I was super excited. I thought Ronnie Perkins was going to play. And then Tuesday happened. Tuesday was the press conference in which Lincoln Riley stepped up and said, the situation hasn't changed for any of these guys. I'm going to take it for face value right now, Matt. So you're saying you're, you're, you spent two minutes and 30 seconds just to say, no, he's not going to play. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's correct. No. Do I want him to? Yes. Do I think he's an elite defender? I asked you the question last week, if Oklahoma had any elite players on the defensive side of the ball, and I definitely think Ronnie Perkins is one of those. He's a game changer for this this unit as a whole. So do I want him to play? Yes. But I, I have no reason not to trust in what Lincoln Riley is saying, regardless of what my personal beliefs are. 
You're killing me right now because you you're the one who started this. So far as the podcast and the website goes, you're the one who started this. Hey, Ronnie Perkins is going to play train last week on this on the Iowa State right, preview, and, and I've owned and, that. And now you're you're back. I, I'm, but see, I, I flipped sides because last week, if you remember, huh. my my response Imagine was that. <laughs> my response was you can't have one without the other two. Right. I have an explanation that I, I don't think I can share. I don't think I should share because I'm not for sure that it's true, but I've at least been given an explanation of how that's possible for one to return and not two. Now you've heard people say that the situation with Ronnie Perkins is different than that of Trajan Bridges and Ramondre Stevenson. And you think, okay, wait, how, and this is what I said last week. How is it that you can have three guys suspended for the same thing? It's possible it's very possible that two of the three guys were suspended for two different things. Just going to throw that out there. That's what I'm going to say. It's possible that two of the three were suspended for two different things and all three of them were suspended for one. And that means the appeal is over. Ronnie Perkins is eligible. Now I'm going to, I'm going to give you what Lincoln Riley said, but Lincoln Riley also didn't just straight up come out and say that, he's not going to play. The, the question was, is he going to play? And Lincoln Riley says, well, at this point, his status has not changed. Mm-hmm. That didn't answer. That's, that's being very political, you know, in the true form of the presidential debates and the vice presidential debates. No one answers a question at face value. And Lincoln Riley didn't answer whether he would or wouldn't play. I think he's going to play. Now I, I've got, um, I've got, a, I've got, I'm pulling this up from the Twitter's. Coach Reed, who I believe was one of Ronnie Perkins' high school coaches, Coach Reed says this on Twitter. And by the way, I, the reason I know Coach Reed says this is because Ronnie Perkins himself retweeted it. Coach Reed says, Dear Ronnie Perkins, only the family knows what this has been like and how hard this has been on you. And then he says this, Welcome back to college football. You were made to play in games like this. It is your time. Hashtag keep working. I think he plays unless there's un- some unforeseen circumstance between last Friday and this sat- coming Saturday. I think he plays and there's been nothing that I've seen on my radar that lets me know that he's, he's not playing. And even guys like Jason Kersey of the athletic who Jason Kersey, I believe is the one who broke this story. He says, I'm even after Lincoln Riley uh, made his comments, Kersey says, I'm sticking to my reporting. So that that's all I've got. Um, but you're still going to disagree. I, I, Matt, while you make a compelling argument, and I'm stuttering over here to come up with some kind of a counter, I, I can't. I physically cannot come up with a counter to what you've said. And I do believe a lot of this... Probably lends a hand. You labeled it as as political jargon. A lot of it probably lends a hand towards wanting to conceal all of your cards at the table. Because we know Texas has installed a new offense. They're throwing the ball a little more consistently. They're relying heavily on the talents of Sam Ellinger, the leadership of Sam Ellinger to carry this team, which is no different than it was last year outside of the the new offense. And when you begin to factor in the X's and O's, if you can conceal this 
idea that Ronnie Perkins is going to play and you can begin to get this coaching staff, specifically offensive coordinators and, and head coaches to buy in to what you've said, even though I do agree with you, there was no definitive answer. There was no absolute yes or absolute no that was ever put onto the table concerning Ronnie Perkins. Again, it, it comes down to a little bit of smoke, a little bit of mirrors, and we're in the thick of it for this game. Oklahoma coming off of two consecutive losses. Texas coming off a loss themselves at home. These are two teams who who desperately want to win. And I believe that they will use whatever tactic they've deemed necessary to get that win. If part of that is saying the situation hasn't changed, even though Ronnie Perkins will play, then I'll applaud him because I've bought into it. I bought into that Tuesday conversation, hook, line, and sinker. If I could pay for that one, um, I mean, I, my money would have already been gone. <laughs> okay, so here's where Ronnie Perkins can't help Oklahoma. Let, let's assume he does play. Here's what he's not going to be able to do. He's not going to be able to keep defensive backs from dropping interceptions that hit him right in the chest. He's not going to be able to stop defensive holding down the field. And there's a big mismatch coming Oklahoma's way. We saw it last weekend with the Iowa State tight ends. Now Sam Elligren's bringing some targets in. Brennan Eagles, 6'4". Tariq Black, 6'3". Jake Smith, 6'1". Jordan Whittington, 6'1". Brennan Schooler, 6'2". And Kai Money, 6'1". Oh, yeah, there's Joshua Moore, 6'1", and Avante Woodward, 6'2". Do you know what all those guys are? Taller than anybody in Oklahoma's <laughs> secondary. So that's not enough for you? Well, we can go to Cade Brewer at the tight end, 6'4", Jared Wiley, 6'7", Malcolm X, 6'6". I said Malcolm Epps, E-P-P-S, not Malcolm X. Right. Just to make and, sure and every everybody time I heard that. that name on the broadcast, I did watch the Texas and TCU game, and every time I heard Malcolm Epps name called, it registered as Malcolm X. Every single one of those guys, every single one of them taller than Oklahoma's secondary. And we saw the struggle. The struggle was real. It was either a hold or have a complete pass. There was very, very seldom was there just an incomplete pass. And Sam Ellinger, give him credit. He has been a better passer than I thought he would this season. I don't, still don't think he's a great passer. I still don't think he's improved his draft stock exponentially. Maybe, maybe a little bit he's raised the needle. But all that said, you got to do something if you're Oklahoma. You got to do something to compete with that. Well, again, going back to the Twitters, we may have figured out one thing that Oklahoma is going to do, and that is play a true freshman and Josh Eaton. Josh Eaton tweeted out um, on Wednesday, just said this, something great is happening in a few days, dot, dot, dot. Is Josh Eaton going to play? Let's move past Ronnie, Ronnie Perkins. Is Oklahoma going to start changing it up and putting some of these freshmen out there who have earned the right, maybe just solely based on how bad this secondary has been, can it get worse by throwing a freshman out there? By the way, Josh Eaton is listed as number two on the depth chart behind Trey Brown. I think it's a good idea when you're trying to match size for size that's not something that you can coach. And when we look at the previous game, everybody wants to pinpoint Bookie, Buki, however you're supposed to say it. Everybody, everybody wants to pinpoint 
the struggles that he had being five nine going against a tight end who is well well above him whether that is jumping or standing on the ground the tight end was consistently above him and it led to numerous penalties i don't know when i look at that game matt here's what i see and i'll go back to that i don't know statement Here's what I see is I see defenders in, in good position, but technique is ultimately what tripped them up and allowed Iowa State to sustain those drives or get a fresh set of downs in the red zone. Buki has to be the one name that I think you begin looking at a shift happening. I don't know if Eaton is going to step in and, and fill that kind of a role being 6-2, I don't know that he's going to step in and play that nickelback, but maybe they do rotate someone over like a Jaden Davis and then play Eaton on the outside. There's a lot that you can do with the size that he possesses, but it also goes into to a little bit of recruiting. I know we're going to get into that here in a second, Matt, but I love what Oklahoma is doing in the secondary and recruiting these taller players who do play in the secondary. Well, yeah, and that's a great point that you're you're uh, kind of segueing into what I was going to say next. People say, well, why why Josh Eaton? Why why not DJ Graham? You know, why not Bryson Washington? You know, why not some of these other guys that are young? Well, I think Bryson Washington may be another name that you see play, and here's the reason why: Trey Brown, five ten, DT Yell, five ten, Pat Fields, five eleven, Jaden Davis, five ten. Buki, 5'9". What is Joshua Eaton? He's 6'2". What is Bryson Washington? He's 6'2". What, what do these guys add? Well, if you, put, if, you put, if you put Joshua Eaton in a corner, suddenly you have a corner who's over six foot who can at least give you a little bit better of a matchup. If you put, if you put Bryson Washington in at free safety, suddenly you have a free safety who's over six foot who gives you a little bit better of a matchup. I mean, look, I, it's I, my my thought on this, and, and actually, we're, we're this isn't the only time in this episode that we're going to talk about this very subject. But my thought is, it can't get worse than what it is. And and I'm going because you kind of got my blood boiling again by mentioning Buki because his struggles weren't just in the in pass coverage. His struggles were he can't make a play. He can't. It, it doesn't matter where he is. If he's down the field, he can't make a play. If he's behind the line of scrimmage, he can't make a play. If he's at the line of scrimmage, he can't make a play. And I think with a guy like Brendan Radley Hiles, who's got a lot of talent, he was a five-star recruit. I think it's all in his head. I, I think it's all mental. And what this guy excels at is knowing where the ball is. I'll give him that. He knows how to get to the ball. He just doesn't know what to do once he gets there. And that's been the struggle. And then you put on top of that the um, you put on top of that the the downfield issues against these taller tight ends, taller because he's going to be on a tight end again if he's playing at the nickel position. He'll be covering a tight end. Still going to be a struggle if you don't if you don't get to Sam Ellinger if you give him time. There's going to be mismatches downfield, and that's even if you add a Joshua Eaton into this mix. Matt, I, I don't even know where to begin when we begin to settle on on just taller defenders because there's more to the equation than your height. I do believe that Oklahoma has some very athletic guys on this roster who can make plays. And one thing that you and I have consistently said 
is it is as a coaching staff, it's, it's your job to put your players in a position to succeed. I do believe that reshuffle is coming. I don't know what names are going to surface. I don't know what names are going to produce, but I do believe when we began to to preview this season, the one name we continuously talked about was Anton Harrison. Why? Because he was a true freshman starting on the offensive line. And I I, I can remember you asking me the question, is this something just to motivate whoever's going to play on that mm-hmm. left side of the line, whoever, right. whoever the challenge has been issued to, will they step up? And I think that's what this defense has to do. I think that's what Alex Grinch has to do specifically in the secondary, because the front seven has been so good against the run. I may have been unwilling to see that <laughs> after the Kansas state game. And that bled straight into the Iowa state game. I may have been unwilling to see that, but the numbers, they, they don't lie. They back up that argument that this front seven has played exceptionally well. In fact, I was looking this up earlier earlier in the day and Oklahoma's inside the top 10 in run defense. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't recall the last time that that had happened and you have to look obviously Brees Hall, great running back. I get that he's only a sophomore. He's an underclassman. He lacks that experience, but he's still a great running back. Deuce Vaughn basically ran wild against Oklahoma and had this coming out party where everybody knows his name. It's not as though Oklahoma has faced nobody. They ha- they face some quality running backs, guys that are going to be around for some years. Go ahead. Well, you said Oklahoma State. Is that? I mean, you. you I said Oklahoma State. I mean yeah. Oklahoma. Okay. All right. That that's my, a, that's my a, apologies. That's an unforgivable. Even, that's didn't an even un- realize that. Well, you were talking out. about Kansas State, and then you said Oklahoma State, and I was like, that's the unpardonable sin right there, yeah. brother. Yeah. <laughs> my my apologies. Oklahoma has faced some quality running backs. And so the, the, the part that's lagging behind on this defense is undoubtedly the secondary. How do you shake that up? How do you motivate these guys? It's by mentioning the names of Eaton. It's by mentioning the name Woody Washington. It's, it's by Mm -hmm. throwing out some of these other guys who, who have potential, but haven't stepped onto the field and any significant roles at this point. But see, I, I think, I think at this point, one and two on the season it's beyond motivation. I mean, here's the thing about Anton Harrison. He's, he's good. I mean, he deserves to be on that right. offensive line. And I, I concur. And, I was just using him as the example no, because of what we no, saw. I, in the I get it. Yeah. And I, I made the connection there, but you're one and two on the season. And what are your defensive backs doing right now? These, these are upperclassmen. Trey Brown is a senior. DTL is a junior. Pat Fields is a junior. Jaden Davis is this, the youngster right now, the sophomore. Buki is a junior. What are your defensive backs doing? They're missing tackles, and they're running downfield and watching receivers and tight ends make plays. That's what they're doing. So you're telling me you can't put a freshman in there to miss a tackle? No, absolutely. You can't you put can. a freshman in there to run downfield absolutely. and watch a tight end make a play? So why not do it? You can't get worse than what you have than what you what's actually out there right now can't get worse by putting a freshman. Right. And I revert back to the Parnell Motley situation because that was a kid who had ups and downs during his his time at the University of Oklahoma. We see as a senior what we believe to be his best season eventually gets snubbed on the NFL combine and then lands a role in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers. There was some kind of motivation when he lost that starting role. It lit a, I have to believe it lit a fire under him or else he wouldn't be in the NFL now. The talent existed. They just didn't know how to maximize 
his potential for whatever reason. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting, uh, some big news there potentially for Oklahoma as they head into the Red River Showdown. Um, and then we got to talk about Oklahoma, offense and defense versus the Longhorns. And true or false, I get to ask the questions this week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Oklahoma sitting at one and two on the season. There's been a lot of talk since the Iowa State loss about how this is going to affect Oklahoma's 2021 recruiting class. And I'm happy to say so far, so good, Rich. I'm not hearing any inclinations from anybody. In fact, even Latrell McCutcheon said today on Twitter, I wish people would quit asking me about other schools. I'm solid where I am. Caleb Williams going publicly about just supporting the players and the coaches and being patient. And Caleb Williams also out there checking on you. You see him in Choctaw checking on Jordan Mukes. You know, I, I don't see at this point, I don't see any inclination that this class is falling apart. I don't either. And it's also a positive when you begin to see players who are decommitting from other universities, give a serious, a serious mm. look or put under heavy consideration the Oklahoma Sooners. A one and two start to the season is not indicative of the future. You do look at what Oklahoma's building, and I do believe for years now I've said this, I'll continue to say it, is that Oklahoma was on the cusp of having a dynasty, not just in the Big 12, but nationally. And it's always been that that defensive side of the ball that has collapsed and, and held the offensive side of the ball back. So you love to see these kids remaining committed, staying true to that verbal that they've given previously, but also continuing to speak highly and positively Mm -hmm. of the university amongst their peers. And when you see a guy like Anton Harrison and you see Marvin Mims, you see, you know, Seth McGowan. Can we get some defenders now? Well, I mean, I'm giving you our time. Potentially go to the other side of the field and see a guy like Joshua Eaton. You see them as freshmen get on the field, and you're you're looking at this team. And look, there, there's nobody, there's nobody who gets recruited at this level who doesn't think that they can't play immediately. You know, they don't want to go. Like they they may get it. Like you know, look. Let me battle Spencer Rattler to be the starting quarterback. And if he beats me, okay, but let me battle because I think I'm better than Spencer Rattler. You know, that's that's the mindset Kenneth Williams is going to take into this thing. And it's across the board. Latrell McCutcheon, I, I promise you, Latrell McCutcheon right now is saying, I can play in that secondary. And they see guys out there playing, guys that they've been to the champion barbecue with and guys that they've been on, on on visits with and guys that they've played a high school ball against and they see those guys at this program and they know the the trajectory and the the consistency of this program and they're thinking I can go there and I can play immediately yeah and I, I think that that helps and, and I think it also helps how how Oklahoma's coaches sell this and they can sell it by saying <laughs> that pass Spencer Rattler rolls out to the right, throws it on a dart right through the receiver's hands. Now, you would have caught that pass, wouldn't you? 
know what I'm saying? And they, they, they throw that kind of stuff out there, which is true, and it's good recruiting. So I, I don't I don't think there's at, at any at this point, I don't think there's a reason to be concerned about how about the players that Oklahoma has committed. Now you look at a player like like Wheaton, the running back. You look at a player who hasn't committed yet, and you think, okay, maybe there's some maybe when you when you're trending heavily for him, when you're trending heavily for Bryce Foster, and those guys haven't committed yet. Maybe there's there's more reason to be concerned for those guys than there is for a guy who's already committed. See, I I don't know that I'm going to agree with the names that you've mentioned specifically. I see your point, but I also want to use your argument against you in that scenario because you look at the left side of that offensive line and you begin to think there's a hole, there's a void there that needs to be filled. You look in the backfield at the running backs and you see the disappearance of... I just blinked on his name, Marcus Major. You see the disappearance of him really leaving two scholarship running backs, minus Ramondre Stevenson, to compete for playing time. Can you enter that room and compete with those guys? Absolutely, especially given the fact that you're one of the top recruits in the class. Speaking of Samar Wheaton here, when I'm looking at <laughs> at Oklahoma and I'm looking at this situation. It feels so unfamiliar, doesn't it? Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> but but we, and we talked about this after the Iowa State game. This happens periodically, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not the end of the world. I mean, right. you, you could go back to, you know, follow follow the 2005 season, right? Oklahoma's in the Orange Bowl. They get thrashed by USC in 2004, and then 2005 was a down year. But then look what produced in the two or three years. You know, actually, the 2006, you begin to see them come back around. 2009, 2013, you you see this every now and then. But what's different, what's different between a program like the University of Oklahoma and a Texas is that Texas has been on this kind of a dip since 2009. Okay, this has been an 11-year struggle for the Texas Longhorns. Well, they had one year, which would have been a pinnacle year. Under Sam Ellinger beating, was it Georgia? Yeah, but they still finished second in the Big 12. No, I get that. It was a, an 11-win season. But, the, but <laughs> the point I'm making is Oklahoma, you go back to 1999, Oklahoma always bounces back from these type of seasons. They, they always have. And they're going to have to not bounce back to convince people that, that this is a, a prolonged dip. And so I think that helps give credence here, especially when you compare it to a Texas. Texas blew it, man. Texas Texas had their shot to bang their chest and walk in as the mighty Titans in the Cotton Bowl on Saturday, and they just straight blew it. If I'm on the recruiting trail, to, I mean, and, and I hear a kid, well, you know, here's what Tom Herman told me. Okay, well, ask Tom Herman when he's going to win a Big 12 championship. Ask Tom Herman when he's going to be in the playoffs. Ask Tom Herman, you know, ask Tom Herman, you know, what he's going to do to develop a quarterback or a running back or a wide receiver. Because that hasn't happened in over a decade at Texas. And so when you're looking at these kids and these recruits and they're all confident, they all think they can play. Oklahoma is still the model of consistency in the Big 12, even in a down year. Now, if this happens 2021, you're one in three, 
then you then you start having problems. But right now, I, look, here's what's happening right now. We'll just transition to our next topic on recruiting. What's happening right now is Billy Bowman has decommitted from Texas. So it, after one loss, it's already hitting Texas. Billy Bowman, four-star prospect. He's rated as the number three athlete in the 2021 class. He's the number six overall recruit from the state of Texas, according to 24-7 Sports. He's a defensive back and a wide receiver. I believe he'll play wide receiver in college because he's got blazing Marquise Brown-type speed. So he decommits on Tuesday from the University of Texas. Where does he pick up crystal ball predictions to? Anybody know? I sure do. Go ahead, man. I mean, this is the the Sooner Nation podcast, so you naturally have to assume Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, there's been two crystal ball predictions since his decommitment. They're both trending towards Oklahoma. Both crystal ball predictions have Billy Bowman coming to the University of Oklahoma. What does that tell you about the current state of Oklahoma's recruiting? I mean, you want to compare Oklahoma and Texas side by side in recruiting right now? I, I mean, if I'm if I'm wearing burnt orange, I don't. I don't want to talk about that. I want to focus on this game on Saturday, and rightfully so, because that's the only way you stop the sinking ship if you're Tom Ehrman. You have to win this game. So how much <laughs> how much of the, the Billy Bowman situation is related to the Oklahoma Sooners softball program, which, by the way, plays home to his current girlfriend? I mean, look, you, you, whatever recruiting is, tool is that where the is whatever that where recruiting the tool you need. No, I, I mean, look, up from? whatever recruiting tool you need, you take, right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah, for for sure. I like love is they say love is blind, but here's the thing: Billy Bowman may be awestruck in love, but here's the other thing: Billy Bowman's looking at who's developing players. He's watching Mark Andrews score touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, and the only time Mark Andrews takes a break scoring touchdowns is when Marquise Brown scores touchdowns for the Ravens. He's watching CD lamb for the Dallas Cowboys score two touchdowns last Sunday. That's what Billy Bowman's looking at more than anything else. When's the last time you heard, I mean, maybe there's one out there and I'm just, I'm ignorant to it or I'm forgetting about it. Name me the last big time receiver to come out of the university of Texas. That's a star in the NFL. You got one. An absolute star. I do not. I mean, the last the last big-time receiver I can think of who was really, really good in the NFL, and he wasn't really, really good, but he was decent, was Roy Williams. He was big, he was fast, and knew how to use his body. But, I mean, are you Googling it up right now? I saw you typing no, in your computer. No, I, I am typing. I'm okay. not Googling um, anything. Because I could be totally wrong. I'm just saying, that's probably, watching those guys score on Sundays probably does a lot more for Billy Bowman trending towards Oklahoma and softball, you know, softball girls are just a bonus. Okay. <laughs> and if we get, I to, mean, <laughs> you know we'll, what? We'll never know. No, we might. If we get to cover softball in the spring, if, if this, if this thing is lifted and we get to go on the media passes and sit there and do interviews, we can ask, I guess. But at this point, I'm going to assume it's more about X's and O's and development than it is about a girl swinging an aluminum bat. Okay. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's uh let's delve into this uh big matchup on Saturday, Oklahoma versus Texas. Well, let's start with Oklahoma's offense against the Texas defense. This is a matchup that I believe could be favorable for the Sooners. But on the same boat, look, Oklahoma's gonna have to change some things, don't you agree, Rich? 
I do. And, and it really comes down to utilization for me, at least utilization of certain aspects of the game. And more specifically, this should come as no surprise utilization of, of specific players. And in particular, you're going to say Seth McGowan. I am. The one thing that for me, um, we've talked about this previously, Matt, the one thing for me that Seth McGowan has flashed in three games is that initial burst through the line of scrimmage. We've talked about his explosiveness and it ultimately being what has set him apart from the likes of a TJ Pledger. We've seen, even though he's a true freshman, we've seen him be successful time and time again. However, Oklahoma in various situations in different games now has shown that they're willing to basically abandon the run and rely on the, the arm of Spencer Rattler. I don't know that that's an approach that they want to continuously use throughout the season, knowing that there's so much young talent on this field. We had mentioned in this previous game, wanting to see a more balanced offense. We definitely got closer to that than we were at Kansas state, but I'd like to see them remain relatively close to that 50, 50 number, which means they are going to have to use the likes of Seth McGowan. I would also like to know what happened to Marcus major. As we've mentioned him previously on this podcast, he was one of the players who drew some pretty lofty comparisons coming into the program. Now that Ramondre Stevenson isn't available. Now that Trey Sermon has transferred and Kennedy Brooks has opted out. It seemed like a prime opportunity in which he could seize the moment and prove that he was capable of what everybody thought he was, but that simply hasn't been the case. He's played in one game. Now is that one game enough evidence to keep him off the field for this coaching staff for the time being, or is there something else at play? There are questions for me centering around Marcus major, but again, your best opportunity for success, at least in my opinion, is to look in the direction of Seth McGowan. Texas is allowing three, an average through three games of 377.3 yards per game, 250.7 through the air, 126.7 on the ground. Those numbers are skewed. I'll come back to that a little bit later on. And I agree with you about Seth McGowan. I, I think, look, I, I don't know what happened to Marcus Major. I was so high on Marcus Major before the Missouri State game. I, in fact, I... I even said that he he would have a better game than TJ Pledger when we thought TJ Pledger was going to start. Right. But there there's it's clear to me that TJ Pledger and Seth McGowan both have an extra burst that Marcus Major just doesn't. I don't know if he's injured. I don't know if that's just the way he plays. I don't know if he's slow to you know Samaj P Ryan was a powerful runner but he was slow. He had to you know, and when I say slow, it means he. It took him a while to get to top end speed, and that's why it was such a good transition between Samaj Piran and Joe Mixon because Joe Mixon had one gear. I mean, it was fast, and and <laughs> and you see that with T.J. Pledger, and you you see it with Seth McGowan. And when you're talking about struggles on the offensive line, maybe it's just as simple as it's more conducive. With the offensive line struggles, it's more conducive to have TJ Pledger and South Mago Seth McGowan, who have a quicker burst out of, right out of the gate, as opposed to a guy like Marcus Major, who needs seven or eight yards to build up into that top end speed. I I don't know what it is, but I do agree you have to run the ball. And he, here's something that, and I don't know if this comes, I, I don't know if this comes on the on the forefront of offense or defense, but special teams, man. I know it's a category on its own, but special teams 
have been disastrous two weeks in a row. Yes, they have. You go back to Kansas State, and you've got the block punt, momentum. You, you go to Iowa State, you've got Iowa State on the ropes. Think about this. Let's make a boxing analogy, okay? You've countered, you've knocked them against the ropes. The only thing that's holding them up is the ropes, and you're getting ready to work the body, and all of a sudden you open yourself up to an uppercut. That's exactly what happens. You get the strip sack, you get the recovery, you score a touchdown, and then you give up an 80-plus yard kickoff return. That's just, I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And again, I don't know which side of the ball we want to attribute that to, but that's got to be a key that we'll just throw in here with the offense. And I think that with with turnovers, man, if, if you look at the two losses, my, my wife, my wife is, y'all think I'm a big time OU fan, which I am. My wife is even more so than me. And what, what my wife said was spot on. She said the most frustrating thing about these last two games is they're avoidable losses. And they absolutely are six turnovers against Kansas state. And we're including the block pun in there. And then you only, you turn it over only once against Iowa state, but it's the, it's, it's the drive. It's, it's, it's the, could have been the go ahead tying drive. I don't know if you go for two there or not. I, I don't know, but, but Spencer Rattler, I, I've watched that again. Spencer Rattler made, he, he made a freshman mistake. If you watch that play, you're talking about the interception. The interception. I think he he went on he went into the play predetermined to throw that pass. That's where he was going to go. I think if you, if you look at that play, go back and watch that play one more time and watch Austin Stogner. So the two things you're going to want to watch. You're going to watch Austin Stogner and you're going to want to watch time in the pocket. He didn't have to, he wasn't pressured to throw that pass deep. He never saw the safety. I don't know what he said after the game, but he never saw that safety. He went there and determined, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this right here. I'm gonna because I could do it in high school and I'm gonna do it right now. But if you watch, <laughs> if you watch the time he has in the pocket and you watch Austin Stogner, Austin Stogner is about to break free, break wide open underneath. I'm, when I say underneath, I mean when you go when you go vertical, everything's underneath from vertical. But Austin Stogner is about 10 to 12 yards downfield, about to break open. And if, if Rattler waits one more second, he's got Austin Stogner. I don't, I'm not saying it would have been a touchdown, but what I am saying is it would have been a huge gain, and Oklahoma's still driving. So you, uh, the two things I'm, I'm, I'm talking circles about right now is you got to take care of special teams, and you got to take care of the football because those will kill you. If, if they're going to kill you against Kansas State, if they're going to kill you against Iowa State, they will devastate you against Texas. Yeah, I'm, I was looking at this game specifically, Matt, and I know that I wrote an offensive preview. So I'm going to echo a lot of the sentiments that have been shared there already. One of the things when we look at a, a young quarterback, I get Spencer Rattler. It's not his first year on campus, but he still does classify as a freshman. If you can get into the backfield consistently and rattle a player like that, all it takes is a couple of footsteps in order to make a quarterback who's young, mm-hmm. who's inexperienced, to begin to second guess their abilities and to begin to throw into coverage just to get rid of the ball. So I do believe Oklahoma as an offensive line has to be be solid in 
pass protection. They have to set that pocket. They have to be willing to move it a little bit. And Spencer Rattler also needs to show, as you've mentioned, a little bit of patience and that willingness to move around in the pocket instead of always or consistently rolling out. And as good as Spencer Rattler has been throwing on the run, I still like to see that progress. I like to see that development out of a young quarterback, such as the one that Oklahoma is putting on the field on a consistent basis. Spencer Rattler is 977 yards, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions on the, on the season. He's absolutely the key to what Oklahoma does on Saturday, because if he can be consistent as a down the field, mid, mid to deep, you know, um, mid to deep range, then that does open things up for a guy like Seth McGowan or a guy like TJ mm-hmm. Pledger. If, if Rattler is, is shaky and if he's turning the ball over, then what Texas is going to do is they're going to crowd that line of scrimmage and they're going to say to this freshman and these young receivers, okay, you beat us and we'll live with it if you do. But that's the, not the situation you want Oklahoma to be in at all on the offensive side of the ball. Right. And Texas is not exceptionally great at getting into the backfield and causing disruption. They've only recorded three sacks on the season that ranks ninth in the conference, but If you do get that sack, if you do start racking those up as a defense, talk about a confidence builder for this team and and one of the biggest rivalries in in college football history. Yeah, so, you know, here's one more thing as well, is that uh, offensive line play has got to continue to get cleaner or more clean, and most just cleanest. I don't know how you want to say that. but they (laughs) Limit the penalties. They they did better from from Kansas State to Iowa State. For sure. Now they've got to do better from Iowa State to Texas because, again, those drive-killing penalties, you can't have them. And we're, we are going to talk when we get in the true. I'm, I'm saving my stuff on the running game for true or false because I've got a true or false question I'm going to throw at you. Yeah. And so we are going to talk more about the running game and the, the, the success of that, I believe, is going to be on the offensive line. Here's what I'm going to throw out a random question for you, and I hope I don't spoil anything or or steal one of your questions for a segment that is coming up later. But three games into the season, I never thought we would be looking at this team specifically. I never thought we'd be looking at this running back room and saying there has not been a 100-yard game for no any doubt. of the right, ball carriers. Right. Well, Seth McGowan is the leading carrier, and he's only got 184. And uh, sorry, yeah, I think 181. He's averaging 66 per game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that. And if you go back to one of our our preseason podcasts, one of the questions you asked me in Chira Foss would would Oklahoma have a 1,000 yard rusher, or I think maybe even two 1,000 yard rushers. Right. And I was like, Yeah, I don't know why not. Why, why wouldn't they? You know. <laughs> but they got the great offensive line. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? They the offensive line isn't as great as we thought they were going to be. And Kennedy Brooks isn't there. So um, just shows you how little we know. Flipping the sides of the of the field, Oklahoma's defense versus the Texas offense. The Longhorns, they come into this game averaging 51 points per game, 517.7 yards. Now you you gotta you gotta throw this out here, this this disclaimer that while they're averaging 51 points per game, a big, big chunk of that came in their season opener. But still, a dangerous offense. Sam Ellinger slinging it for 326 yards per game, and the Longhorns almost 200 yards per game on the ground. Um, and when you compare that to what Oklahoma's defense is doing, Oklahoma's defense is giving up just just over 230 yards through the air and 85 yards on the ground. I, I think this becomes a battle for me. If I'm Alex Grinch, I want to keep 
Texas limited in what they do on the ground. And I want to see if Sam Ellinger has developed. If I blitz him, is he going to freeze? If I if I drop if I drop a linebacker deep in coverage, is he going to recognize that? I I, I want to see. This is I'm testing my my first thing is to test has Sam Ellinger improved? I don't think he has. I watched him play last week. I watched him play the week before. I don't think he's improved. But we'll find out. But I I think I think you start by not letting Keontae Ingram and, and that running back crew by not letting them loose. That's just my thought. I, I do have to jump on that bandwagon with you. When I look at what Oklahoma brings to the table defensively versus what Texas is bringing offensively, one thing that I've noticed about Texas is they have very few negative plays. There are very few tackles for loss that this team is willing to to surrender or willing to take. In fact, I've pulled up the numbers here through three games. Texas has only, well, let me rephrase that. This offense has only accounted for 11 tackles for loss. That leads the Big 12 conference. You mean they've only given up 11 tackles for loss? Yes, yes, exactly. What I'm saying is that they have this propensity to fall forward, to get back to the line of scrimmage, and not take a loss. So I do believe that Oklahoma is going to have to find a way to win first and second down consistently. You want to put Texas in unfavorable positions Mm -hmm. on that third down. And and of course, it all starts by recording those tackles for loss, by putting Texas in unfamiliar or uncharted territory and making them a little bit uncomfortable, keeping them on their heels offensively. Yeah, and here's something that I don't think is talked about enough when you're looking at the Texas offense is that Sam Ellinger has only been sacked twice this season, twice through through three games. Pretty impressive. And that, I mean, I, it, it could, it's plausible. It's plausible that the Longhorn offensive line is in better position than the Sooner offensive line going into this game. It's plausible. <laughs> uh, Matt, when we look at, I will say this about that Texas offensive line. We look at Cosme being that, that top recruit being that top candidate for the NFL being that top prospect to land on the all big 12 conference list at the end of the the year for Texas. And of course he's going to set the tone. We expected that same exact thing from Creed Humphrey. So when we begin to compare these offensive lines, I think ultimately you're, you're comparing the best from Oklahoma versus the best from Texas. Granted, they're not playing the same position on that offensive line, but they're bringing a certain demeanor that's expected to infiltrate the mindset of the other players who are playing to their left and right. Now, Oklahoma had a lot more experience returning to my knowledge on that offensive line. They just haven't produced at the same level. You also have to look at quarterback play because I know a lot of people want to say Spencer Rattler isn't extremely mobile. Whereas Sam Ellinger, that that was the offense. Mm-hmm. He was the offense. When things broke down, he would run the ball. There were there were designed runs specifically tailored to his skill set. We really haven't seen that from Oklahoma in Lincoln Riley towards Spencer Rattler. So I, I do think a little bit of that is creating these numbers and giving us a a little bit of a misconceived idea, if I can use that. You know, and something that's interesting about this when we're talking, you know, running running the football, Sam Ellinger, by the way, is third on the team in rushing attempts with 27, also third on the team in rushing yards. He's only he's only five behind um, the the 
the leader of Texas and rushing. And that's what I wanted to bring up. Keontae Ingram, we, we talk about Seth McGowan. Okay. Here, here's what I'm saying. We, we talk about the running game at Oklahoma and how crazy it is that the Sooners haven't produced a 100 yard uh, rusher on the season. Okay. So, so listen to these stats. Seth McGowan, 34 carries, 181 yards, two touchdowns. He's Oklahoma's leading rusher. You want to? Do you have any idea if you compare it to the leading rusher for the Longhorns? I don't. Okay, so so let's put this in perspective. I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat Seth McGowan one more time. 34 carries, 181 yards, two touchdowns. Keontae Ingram, 32 carries, 173 yards, zero touchdowns. The numbers are very similar minus yeah. the touchdowns. And we're, we're talking about how this crazy Oklahoma doesn't have a, a right. one hundred. But guess what? Neither does Texas. <laughs> this is going to be I, wild. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You, you, you shut that down, which it should not be overly complicated to do. You shut that down because I think Tom Herman is going to Tom Herman here and help help Oklahoma shut it down. I think Tom Herman is going to call those bubble screen passes and he's going to try to go deep on first and second down and put himself through play calling. If Oklahoma can defend it, he's going to put himself in third and long without Oklahoma's defense really having to do a whole lot. It's just those times where they do run the ball. You got to stuff it out. This is going to turn into a, I believe this is going to turn into a game where we see these quarterbacks throw the ball 40 plus times easily each. Can I just say no? <laughs> I just think that's <laughs> not what I was I, hoping I for. I think that's where we're heading. When I look at Oklahoma versus Texas on the surface, Matt, I did think this would be a matchup pitting what what has been the strength of the Oklahoma defense versus the strength of this Texas offense. Texas is averaging 191.33 yards on the ground, whereas Oklahoma defensively defensively is only allowing 81.67 yards. One of those one of those is going to have to break. One of those is going to have to give. Mm -hmm. And I think whoever's number gets closer to their average is ultimately going to win this game. Historically, this game has been decided by which team can run the ball better. Keep that point in mind. It's coming back. Can run the ball better. I'm not certain which team is going to do that, given the numbers that the, the comparison of McGowan versus Ingram. I'm not certain who is going to do that, which makes Sam Ellinger really the, the biggest X factor in this, in this contest. Okay. Well, here we go. It's coming up. True or false. I'm asking the questions. All right. Uh, the position I'm most comfortable in, in this podcast is asking the questions to rich on true or false and in, in due form. You know what? I think, you get to ask me more bi-week questions again next week. Whatever. A true form, this is me asking Rich specifically about a game. But it's not just any game. It's the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma-Texas. So here we go. The Sooners come in with a losing record after being the preseason favorite to win the Big 12 champion for an unprecedented sixth year in a row. Now, Tom Herman, who has to win to save his job, Tom Herman drops an egg in Fort Worth, excuse me, in Austin against the foes from Fort Worth, losing at home to TCU. True or false? 
there's more pressure on Tom Herman and the Longhorns than there is on Lincoln Riley and the Sooners going into this game on Saturday. I absolutely believe that one to be true. Tom Herman, we suspected that he was on the hot seat last year. We saw the the coaching staff overhaul, which again, Matt, you have consistently said when you fire coordinators, the next step is to fire the head coach. If Lincoln Riley fails to produce and it's not just in this game. This is going to be all season long. But if he fails to produce wins consistently, he's going to be on the hot seat, and the hot seat's only going to get warmer and warmer and warmer as we progress towards the end of the season. So to answer your question, yes, it is true that that Tom Herman and the Texas Longhorns have more pressure in this game than Lincoln Riley and the one and two Oklahoma Sooners. Okay, number two. We've talked about the offenses we, for the easy one. Hey, there you go. We've talked about the offenses and we've talked about the defenses. The over under on this game is set at 72. You should definitely take the over. Is that my true or false? Yeah, true or false. Man, that that's a good one. That's a good one. I am going to go with you can tell I'm still processing. <laughs> This question and, and attempting to decide on which side of the fence that I would like to fall. I'm going to go ahead and say that, that this one is true. I do believe this to be a higher scoring game than maybe what we expect on the surface. And you look at some of the defensive struggles that Oklahoma has had. You look at some of the defensive struggles that Texas has had. You look at the strong suits of each of these teams. And while Oklahoma has not really put up the same number of big plays that we've come to expect of them since dating back before even Baker Mayfield stepped onto campus, Oklahoma doesn't have the same number of 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 big offensive gains but the truth of the matter is is that it's still an efficient offense it's still an offense that finds ways to succeed now they've got to limit the turnovers but i don't think that's going to stop the scoring so i do believe with a senior quarterback in sam ellinger who can run and make things happen with his feet combined with the the speed and the athleticism of this oklahoma offense the defenses are going to struggle all day long give me give me 72 plus Okay, listen, if you read our um, our Friday Locks post that we have on the website, heartland-sports.com, um, if you read those, then you know we are the last people you should be taking advice from <laughs> when it comes to things like the over-under and the point spreads. I think this is a deceptive 72. Because I, if this game is going to flow like I think it's going to flow, I would take the under here. Because I think it's spot on. I think 72 is right at what the total is going to be on this game. And it would scare me to take the over, but I'm clearly not going to bet anyway. But okay, uh, here we go. Number three. This is OU Texas. This is it. This is the big one, right? True or false? Oklahoma's defense will finally rise to the occasion and secure multiple turnovers. I hope that this one is true. Okay, but I do. I thought you were going to say I hope so. Oh, you're going to go with false. I am going to go with false, and it's it's been a string of events that have played out for this defense where, Matt, you've heard me say this time and time again, the defense is in position to force the turnover. They simply haven't. The defensive line is the only only unit on the defense this year who has produced a turnover. Nope. DTL got an interception oh, on that's the right, uh, that's opener. Right. They have two, two <laughs> turnovers when it should be more around the number of five uh-huh. through three games. While According in, to Alex Grinch, it should be at least six. But while whatever. They're, while they're in position to make the play, they they just haven't completed it. But Ronnie Perkins is coming and, back. And He's going to fix everything. I don't believe, given what we've seen, 
I don't believe that anything's going to change in one week. And so I have to go with a false, even though I do, I do hope and I do wish that one were true. Okay. So here's, here's a, you know, I'm going to save this one for the last. I'm going to, I'm going I'm to switch my order here. I'm going to save it for last. So here, here's my new number four. We've talked about the freshman and we've talked about how putting a freshman in the secondary can't get any worse. So with that understanding, true or false, the Josh Eaton experiment, assuming it's going to happen, I think it will. The Josh Eaton experiment in the secondary will go very well. True. It can't go any worse than it already has. But can it go very well? See, there's, there's, there, there's a difference between not getting any worse and going very well. True. <laughs> I, I'm sticking to my guns on this one. And I, I, when I look at this coaching staff, and we've talked about, I just recently said this in, in conjunction with the previous question, is that the coaching staff has put these players in a place to succeed. When it comes to Joshua Eden, it doesn't matter that he's younger than some of the other candidates to play any role, any position in that defensive or in the secondary, more specifically. It doesn't matter that he's younger than them. I do believe that the coaching staff has seen what he's capable of in practice, and they believe that his talents are ready to be displayed on the collegiate scene, on the current circuit that is the Big 12, more specifically to combat some of these taller receivers. If he shows the instincts that he probably has in practice, and if he relies in the talent that he knows he has, instead of trying to play outside of himself, play what I like to call hero ball and do too much, if he will stick to what his assignments are and what the assigned tasks are for him, I do believe that it'll go, It'll. what was your wording? Very well. Extreme, yeah. 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 Very well. I think I started to say extremely, extremely well, very well, whatever. Okay. Here we go. Last one. And this is the big one. Ready for this? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Oklahoma will have its best rushing day of the season against Texas on Saturday. True or false? Um, let me look at their, their <laughs> running days. Days. Let me let me look at the stats. Well, let me tell, from I'll the give, previous weekends. Well, I'll give you the stats right here. Oklahoma. Okay, I, I got them. Oklahoma averaging 122.7 mm-hmm. yards per game on the ground. Texas averaging uh, allowing 126.7 yards per game on the ground. I know that Texas falls in the middle of the conference. I do believe they're ranked number five in rushing defense. Oklahoma has to run the ball, in my opinion, in order to be successful. Knowing that the the number that they need to eclipse is 130, I do believe that's possible, Matt. So I'm going to go with true. All right. So here, here's where the numbers can be deceptive. And this is what I wanted to get at when we're going all the way back to Oklahoma's offensive keys. And this is why I don't believe you should play the over on this game. Remember that over under 72. Yes. yes. Texas, on paper, 126.7 yards per game. That's what they give up on the ground. Do you know what they've allowed in Big 12 play? Because you got, I mean, that that on paper includes UTEP. I think they've won that game six hundred thousand twelve to three or something like that. In in conference play, I I know they faced TCU. Who else was? What Texas Tech was their other opponent? Yeah. And Texas Tech threw the ball like sixty million times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that game, so again, I think that number skewed downwards of oh, what it should you? be. Oh really, fool? I don't well, know. Maybe UTEP and Texas Tech even each other out. How surprised would you be if I were to tell you that the throwing the ball all over the place, Texas Tech Red Raiders ran the ball for a whopping 110 yards? 
That wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> but, but if you look at what TCU did, and that's a that's an offense that I I would listen. I, I would I would compare what TCU is doing with Max Dugan very strongly to what Oklahoma is doing with Spencer Rattler and the Horn Frogs. The Horn Frogs they had success, 458 total yards of offense, including 227 on the ground. Mm-hmm. Because they have a quarterback who can hit open receivers, and so you got to focus on those receivers who are dangerous in space. So you spread them out, and that quarterback can run, and they can hand it off the ball. And you know, Dugan was their was the Horn Frogs' leading carrier with seven seventy nine rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. But the the, the Longhorns had uh, excuse me the, the Red Raiders. Who are we talking about? The Horn Frogs. They they did it by committee. When it, when it comes to to running the football, they they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys run the ball a total of 51 times for an average of 4.5 yards per carry. That's what Oklahoma has to do. Let's not forget that the <laughs> that that number, the 227 yards that Texas surrendered to TCU on the ground, is missing about 20 to 25 yards because of TCU. Great coaching, by the way, by Gary Patterson to have Max Dugan run backwards on the on out the, of the end zone. Yeah, at the end. Um, well, here's the point I'm making. 51 rushing attempts for an average of 4.5 yards per carry. It produced three touchdowns. That's quite impressive. Do you know how many times Dugan threw the ball? I don't. 30 times. So it's not like they abandoned the passing game right. altogether. If Oklahoma can do something like that and find success on the ground, 4.5 yards per carry is an amazing average over the course of 51 attempts. That there's your recipe for success right there. And I don't see why uh, you think TCU's offensive line is better than Oklahoma's. I, I don't. don't. <laughs> we both said at the same time. Is Max Dugan better than Spencer Rattler? Maybe a little bit right now. He's at more this, experienced right, at this stage talent of their careers. Wise, Spencer Rattler has him talent wise. Experience wise, Max Dugan has the edge. But but all that said is, would you take Kendra Miller over Seth McGowan or TJ Pledger? Would you take Darwin Barlow over Seth McGowan or TJ Pledger? I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Run the ball and you beat this team. There, There's your right. recipe for success right there. I think Lincoln Riley's smart enough to see the value in this. And I think that's what they're going to they're gonna do. And I, so I, therefore I think it does produce Oklahoma's best output of the, of the season on the ground. And I think it also keeps that over under total of 72 on the underside. I want to throw out my own, just one true or false question towards you. Uh-oh. And this is totally unexpected. Unprecedented. Because I thought you would actually lead out with this question. When we look at Texas, sitting two and one, one and one in conference play. We look at the Oklahoma Sooners, one and two on the season, oh and two in conference play. The loser of this game, and this is the true or false part, the loser of this game will have eliminated themselves from Big 12 championship contention. No, I, I believe that's true. I don't think either one of them are eliminated right now, even though uh, uh, there's a good portion of Sooner Nation who does believe Oklahoma's out of the race. I don't believe that they are. I think a third loss, yes. With two losses, you can still win a lot of tiebreakers. Well, and Texas would have a, a second loss there. Right, right. But, but you're saying they would be out if they if they lose l- this game. Listen, here's what happens. I have no respect for Texas. I have no love loss for Texas, okay? I see Oklahoma scrambling to get better. They know they're better than what they've produced. 
I think if Texas loses this game, it spirals out of control. I think if Texas loses this game, Tom Herman knows he's going to have to start negotiating his buyout with the University of Texas. I, we've already seen Billy Bowman decommit after this loss, whether it's about his girlfriend, whether it's about the state of Texas, or whether it's about receiver development at the University of Oklahoma. They've lost probably one of – he may be their top prospect in that class, but he's one of the top if he's not the top. This team – you saw B.J. Foster quit the team – and that season opener when they were destroying UTEP and then get welcomed back on the team. This team is walking on eggshells. If they lose this game, there's more losses coming around the corner. They're not going to beat Iowa State. I don't know. They got to go to Stillwater and play Oklahoma State. I, I just, I, there's more losses coming for Texas. So, yeah, I do believe the loser of this game, be it Oklahoma or Texas, is eliminated from the Big 12 championship race. 100% I believe that. Yeah, we get. Well, yeah. let's go around the Big 12 then. Um, Oklahoma with the early kickoff. We'll give you our predictions there in just a second. Texas Tech at Iowa State. I think it's going to be a fun game. Maybe the best game of the weekend in Big 12 play. Um, Cyclones at home for the second week in a row. But this is a very prolific offense. But I don't know the status of the quarterback here. And... Um, that's going to be a, a big deal whether Bowman plays or not. Right. Um, spoiler alert, that is one of the teams that I took in my Friday locks. I know that Bowman is listed as questionable. I know that the coaching staff, and I don't know how much of this is coach speak, but has said that they're taking it day to day mm -hmm. in terms of the situation surrounding Bowman as the quarterback. Without him on the field, they are a completely different team. And I, I don't think this one's as close. I don't think it's within in two touchdowns if Bowman doesn't play. I agree 100%. Bowman playing, yeah. I 100% I agree. It does make it extremely interesting. And it's going to come down, my opinion, as to who has the ball last. Yeah, I would say 12.5 point favorite right now. If, if, if Bowman plays, I think Iowa State squeaks out a win at home. So I would I would definitely take Texas Tech in those twelve and a half points. If Bowman doesn't play, then I would take the Cyclones and you know more than you know twelve and a half. Um, another another game involving quarterback issues: Kansas State at TCU. Skylar Thompson, I believe, is out against the the Horn Frogs. So I'm going to go ahead and say I think TCU wins their second in a row and gives Kansas State their first loss in conference yeah, play. TCU definitely had a confidence builder getting that game, winning that game. In Austin, I think they continue with that momentum forward, and, and I agree with what you said. Okay, here we go. Spencer Rattler leads the Sooners, 69 of 94 on the season, 977 yards, 10 touchdowns. Seth McGowan, 34 carries, 181 yards, two touchdowns. Joshua Moore is a guy I'm worried about, 11 receptions for 200 yards and four scores for the Longhorns. OU Texas, 11 a.m. kickoff at the Cotton Bowl. Fox is the TV station you're going to want to watch that on unless you're one of the 13 people who get into the game. Give me your score prediction, Rich. Who wins this game? I'm going with a, a similar score prediction to what I gave you last week, heading into Ames, Iowa for Oklahoma and that the, the Cyclones team. I'm looking at, at teams that I do believe 
have the ability to score. It may not be an ability to score at will. The one question mark and something that we briefly addressed was how is special teams going to factor in to this game? We had Gabe Burkich miss his first mm-hmm. field goal attempt of his career. Granted, it's only his second season as the Oklahoma Sooners starter but he had a good track record leading up to that. I still have full confidence in him and I would still label him under my lifetime as the best kicker that, that I've seen and seen in person. I I can use that label. That's a good one. Of course you can. Yeah, of course. So when it comes to special teams, I, I think that's there, there is potential for that to blow my score prediction out of the water. But as it currently stands, I like Oklahoma once again at 35 points, and I'm giving Texas a little bit of a lower score on that one, again at 31. That's the exact same score I had for for last week, by the way. Well, um, I don't believe I'm going to bring as good news as you are, my friend. And I'm going to just preface this by saying I will be cheering very loudly to be wrong on this. But after two weeks in a row of mistake and turnover prone football. I've got to see it to believe it's not going to happen again. I agree. I think Oklahoma scores 35 points, but I've got the Longhorns with 38 and the Sooners drop in their third game in a row. Hate me if you want. Cool, our friendship just ended. Hate me if you want at Sports Heartland on How Twitter. How can you root for the Longhorns? Send me man. a message and tell me I'm crazy, and I will gladly accept that if I am wrong on Saturday. No, and I, and you can tell us and send us the mail heartland-sports.com uh, or heartland-sports at yahoo.com. Hit us up and let us know. But I, I can't. I got to see it. I got to see it to believe it. And I hope to see it on Saturday. Well, let me close this out on this because I can appreciate you being a realist. I can appreciate you being objective. Whereas for a majority of, of the people I've surrounded myself with who are Oklahoma Sooners fans, we're always looking through the crimson colored glasses. The the glass is never half empty. It's always half full. There we go. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully it's a Sooner. You know, Sooners are favored by two and a half, by the way. So we can't even say a Sooner upset. So hopefully it's a Sooner victory. Regardless, have a great weekend. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>